1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Hendon. Welcome to the Snooker Scene And joins me again this week. And uh, we're, we're just, well, a few minutes after the first round draw for the World Championship has been made at the Crucible. Of course, we had a week of qualifying. We now know who's playing who. So in this week's email, it's in two halves. We're going to be looking, going through the draw, predicting each match if we can, and revising our choice of semi-finalists. Second half of the podcast is going to be catching up on emails. We've got the result of Dave Tindall's Fantasy World Championship Remember two weeks ago, Karim Wilson and Neil Robertson found themselves in the final. And also, Neil Folds has got in contact uh, with his own uh, spin, it's fair to say, on the Crucible curse. But firstly, Mm. just a reflection on the qualifiers. I was obviously there I just got home this morning. A very interesting week as it always is. It was, um, firstly, uh, people are probably sick of hearing this, but it was very well run again, well organised. It was more complicated than Milton Keynes because the hotel was not join to the venue so we had to get a bus down every day uh but it was all it all went off well obviously we've got five debutants well done to them we've also got a few old stages got through as well good mix i think and i think it was good to see obviously it was on eurosport it was good that people could actually obviously you know it's only the main table but they could sort of see yeah this actually is you know means a lot to people you could tell that couldn't you yeah i
0: mean it, it looked fantastic I thought the way the arena, as it were, was set up, I thought looked really, really good, not what you might normally associate with the sort of basic uh, facilities that you normally have at qualifiers. And there were some really good matches. Uh, The only issue, and it's not even a criticism as such, it's just an inevitable uh, result of it, when you get down to the last two days, and it's best of 19, you can really only show one match. Now, of course, there was also the opportunity to then go over to the other table, but there's so much going on in that final qualifying round, and obviously you can only watch one match At any one time. I thought it was great. The O'Brien-Liang match in particular. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better uh, evening session than that. And so much tension surrounding it. Liang looked completely gone. And then the way he managed to do it again at the end. As he often does. You see that from him in matches when he looks to be gone. But he manages to find something. And boy, did he find something at the finish of that match against O'Brien. Who must be so gutted after missing out by a single frame. Yet again, on getting back to the Crucible. Uh, But I thought it was a fantastic week, actually, and uh, I know it was really well-received. There was a lot of interest over here in the progress of O'Brien and Doherty. I mean, who would ever have thought you'd see the day that you would have a clip of a world qualifier uh, and an interview clip, actually, as well, on the 6 o'clock news. But we did after Ken's first match. So uh, I thought it was a a really successful week, and um, I wouldn't be surprised at all now if televising the qualifiers becomes an annual thing.
1: Yeah, Eurosport. I mean, I commentate for Eurosport, but I don't speak on their behalf. But they took some stick because they didn't do the Judgment Day thing that uh, that was Snooker done on the on YouTube. But of course, it's it's the usual thing. People have no idea what they're talking about. The venue wasn't configured for it. Last year, the venue last year the venue was open plan, and what they did was they would have effectively sort of four cameras, they spin round. So, so, for example, if they went from table eight to table seven, they would turn the camera around and you'd be on the other table. Couldn't do that in this venue because of the new regulations. They were all single cubicles with, like they, like they used to be, with walls and so on. So in order to do it, it would have cost a lot more money to get the extra cameras in. And, you know, broadcasters have priorities and they'd rather spend the money elsewhere. Also, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I mean, I, I actually like the old judgment day on the YouTube, but some people actually would rather just watch a match, you know. You, Yeah, exactly. When you tune in at Wimbledon. When you you tune in at Wimbledon, if you start the match on centre court and suddenly you're off to court three, it's probably a bit annoying. So um, I understand why people are upset, but it's the usual thing. People people just don't know how it works, basically. Um, Anyway, let's continue. We predicted a couple of weeks ago, or tried to, (laughs) the 16 qualifiers. And I was going really well. Literally, with about three days to go, 15 were left in. But then I had a sort of... um, Night of the Long Knives, as it were. Um, mm. I, ended, I ended up with five. I was happy with Alexander um, because Gary Wilson was the main sort of tip in that section. And also Alan McManus, a lot of people tipped Ali Carter. But five out of 16, not great, but I suppose not absolutely terrible either.
0: And not as good as me, Dave. I got no. six. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it was or knew the only one who qualified, who we both had. I'm not sure. Because I yeah. forward Stevens McGill on new Carty and Mafflin. I was particularly proud of Carti actually. But I just looked at that section and thought, that's ripe for someone surprising to come through. And Carty's someone who uh, I've seen before and I've thought, you know, he's someone who could actually uh, do a lot in the game. He hadn't done a great deal yet. But this is a wonderful time for him to be through to the crucible. There was a clip posted online. I think he's only 25 years of age. But the the, the clip that was posted of his reaction when he went behind the Mm. scenes afterwards, you would have thought he'd been trying for 20 or 30 years to get to the crucible. It meant so much. Um, And that's what it's all about. You know, It's dreams coming true for these players. And, uh, you know, we saw a few surprise players getting through. Jamie Clark, you could argue he was maybe the story of the qualifiers, getting such a big win, and then going on and uh, managing to back it up by then qualifying for the Crucible. Jordan Brown as well. absolutely brilliant story to see him getting there. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it was a great week. And and the outcome, actually, that you look at the list of players, it's exactly what you expect to be. Guys who you thought maybe weren't going to get back to the Crucible. Anthony Hamilton, the most obvious example. Guys who are sort of in and out uh, of qualifying some years and not qualifying other years and will be very dangerous to anyone they come up against and then as I say the guys who are going to be playing there for the first time and we've got five debutants this year so uh, I think that the set of players we got coming through uh, you know was really really good some big names missed out Perry Carter Scott Donaldson will be really disappointed to have missed out after all the progress he's made over the last 12 months or so.
1: Okay, well, let's uh, let's get into the draw then And uh, we'll just make wild predictions again About who's going to win all the matches Because, yeah. you, you know, there's no law against it So Judd Trump, of course, was always at the top of the draw He's walking out Friday morning He's drawn Tom Ford They had played there before It was a close one, actually I think Trump was... Uh, 2014, Trump was 6-2 up uh, and the fact he was 6-2 tells you it wasn't a great first session because obviously there was an extra frame that should have been played yeah. uh, he won ten-eight in the end it got a bit sticky it's an interesting one this Tom Ford is a terrific talent no question about it um, still was sort of waiting for the breakthrough from him waiting for him to win a tournament on paper that's a tough draw for Trump um, but I still sort of fancy him to win yeah I
0: mean you fancy him to get through but ford we always say it about him, he's one of those players who when he plays well he tends to play really 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 well he's capable of producing sustained heavy scoring frame after frame and i think you'll 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 know a lot about this match actually in the first couple of frames but If ford starts well and he's on his game as i say he, he tends to be the sort of player who, when he's in his rhythm you look at him and you think why is this guy not a top player so i think we'll t- we'll we'll see a lot from the early frames of that one uh, but yeah, you got to go for Trump to win that
1: one. Bing Tao Elliot Slesser, uh, Elliot Slesser. There's a. I mean, this is by the by, but there, there was a conversation because Rob Walker, of course, has got to call them all, all out now as an audience, and uh, he was saying he doesn't really have a nickname, Elliot Slesser. So we were trying to go through various ones, and the one, <laughs> and you could tell we were bored because the one we came up with was someone. Someone mentioned Elliot Ness, okay, and so we got to Elliot Sless, and therefore he's the untouchable. The problem with yeah, that, yeah the, un- yeah, the untouchable. The problem with that, it's a bit like the outlaw, jo- Joey Swells. You've got to actually explain it to people for it to make any sense. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. anyway, that's all the yeah, side well, I, I think, yeah.
0: I, I think uh, didn't I hear there were, uh, there were two options put forward and you decided that, that one was the slatter of two evils?
1: <laughs> everyone a winner okay yeah. I mean, this
0: is come on we've got to be
1: serious this is the world championship draw okay so well, has, yeah. once a year we'll be serious yeah.
0: okay go on It's. I mean debutants you know it's it's how they settle
1: isn't it it's an old cliche but it's true you look at Michael Giorgio last year just didn't settle at all other people have gone out there Peter Ebden against Steve Davis famously went out there and played brilliantly um, I don't know Slessor hasn't actually played on telly that much he's had obviously a few matches been in a, in a semi-final a ranking event but he's still funnily enough even though yambing towers you know the younger man he's got more experience of the big matches which is why i tend to favor him
0: there tends to be a match in the first round that goes really close maybe spills over into a third session and it's really scrappy all the way through and not great to watch but very very dramatic to me, this looks like the one that could fill that role this year, actually. But just going to have to give it to Jan just about. But I, I wouldn't be massively surprised if Slessor won because Jan can be quite unpredictable. You know, one mm. week he looks like a world mm. beater and then the next he's not really firing. But uh, I'll just favour him to uh, to get through that one.
1: A lot of chat, um, sort of just talking to people, a lot of people fancying Steve Maguire's chances this year. He's got Martin Gould, who did, now he did really well to beat Graham Dot. You know, that's to me the hardest player you can play in the qualifiers. We all predicted Dot would qualify. It's only the second time in 20 years he's actually missing out on the Crucible. Of course, he was seeded for a number of those years. Um, so uh, this is a really interesting one, I think. It, this could be. And Maguire seems to have had a lot of close matches in the first round. He's had a lot of ten nines, actually, and has not, and not yeah. won them all. He won that one last year with the with the fluke on the blue and all the rest of it. But um, I'm actually going to shade it towards Gould. Um, He's much improved. He went there with his tour place under threat, um, although he claimed he didn't know that. He's got proper snooker glasses now, hasn't he? All those years we talked about been playing in the normal glasses, he's now got the snooker specs. I actually spoke to him. I said, why, what, why, what was the reason for the change, Martin? He said, well, I couldn't see properly, which I think is fair enough. Um, so it's, it's, I suspect most people won't agree with me, but I'm, I'm actually going to give it to Gouldy. Yeah,
0: it's funny. Those glasses make him look about 30 years older, but yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's another issue. Yeah, very hard call, this one. I think it'll be interesting to see how Maguire responds to the slightly greater expectation there's going to be on him now, obviously, after the Tour Championship. I think what helps in that regard is he's not going in right back of it. There's been a few weeks in between. So, yeah, I I see where you're coming from with Gould. I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if he got got through. And, yeah, I'm going to agree with you, actually. I think very, very close. But, yeah, I, I do fancy Gould to come through that one, actually.
1: Okay, interesting. Well, the next one, Karim Wilson, Anthony Hamilton. Now, that sounds like it could be a bit of a slog, but they played a match a few years ago, China Open qualifying, yeah. and there were six centuries in a row in the match. So, you know, the omens are good there. Um, it's I think that one's the first afternoon uh, that they start, so not long to go. That could possibly count against Anthony, who, of course, has had various sort of health problems and back and shoulder issues, yeah. maybe wanting maybe, maybe more of a break. I don't know. I spoke to him, uh, I won't lie, after a few drinks the other night in the hotel, and he's very, very happy. First time there for 12 years. As he said, you know, the Crucible was just a regular part of his life every year, and now it's become something that, you know, he maybe thought he'd never get back to. So it's great to see him there. He's had, you know, he's had, he's had a lot of problems, but it's one of those people you, you like everyone likes, don't they? Everyone likes Anthony Hamilton.
0: Yeah. Um, Wilson's an interesting case in terms of the World Championship, because obviously he had that great run to the semis a couple of years ago and just didn't settle quick enough. Uh, against Higgins and got beaten in the end. And then last year, I know he was really disappointed to not make much of an impact and go out quite early. And he was already talking about what he could learn from it for the next championship in 12 months' time, which, of course, has turned out to be in actually 15 months' time. So there's that possibility he might just have built it up a little too much in his head. Having said that, he's a much higher-ranked player than Hamilton, and so I'll I'll just shade it for him. But I think Hamilton's going to go there, not feeling... (laughs) any great degree of pressure or expectation because it's so long since he's been there delighted to be back, probably must have doubted he'd ever play at the Crucible again so he'll go in with, without a, a huge amount of pressure on him, but uh, just going to shade that one for Wilson
1: Yeah, I'm tipping Caren as well, I'm sure at some point we will disagree, but so far we've, we've agreed on all four <laughs> The next one, uh, tonight I'm gonna party like it's two thousand and one. Uh, John Higgins, yeah. Matthew Stevens, who played in the semi-finals that year. This is one of two sort of all our yesterday's matches. Of course, John, having said that, John's been in the final last three years. Uh, you know, good to see Matthew qualifying. I mean, Stevens Walden in the last round, you know, two two good guys there, good players. Uh, Matthew got the win. Um Higgins didn't impress me much at the Tour Championship, um, but, of course, he hadn't played, really. He didn't play Championship League. Uh, He was coming back. He didn't perform against Judge Trump, but that's just one match. He always seems to find a way at the Crucible. Uh, But, you know, Matthew's going there with some match play under his belt. So I think that's a tough one to call. I'm just shading Higgins, but only just.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since they've met. It's real retro stuff, this, Mm. isn't it? I mean, you mentioned that semi-final in 2001. The following year... Higgins got through the first two rounds having lost only three frames and was looking like the champion all over and then ran into Stevens in the quarterfinals and got heavily beaten. Uh, they've not met at the Crucible. I think 2008 was the last time they played there. And they've not met at all in anything since... I remember they played in the UK about five years ago, and I think that's still their last meeting. Uh, Stevens is still very capable of going there and playing well. He's had a mini-revival the last year or two. But I do stress only mini-revival. He's nowhere near the player he was. 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, so I think Higgins will come through that
1: one. Okay, another another agreement. I suppose yeah. if we agree if we agree on all of them, then you can't actually beat me this time in this in this one. Um,
0: yeah, well, I'll have to give you a chance, you know. <laughs> the next match, Dave
1: Gilbert, Kurt Mathlin. Mathlin was the first player to qualify, and he was the last player to be pulled out of the bag this morning. Uh, Gilbert, of course, semi finals last year. Uh, Kurt Mathlin. I mean, he's only played there once. He ran Selby very close uh, on day one, 2015. He yeah. was 10-9. Um I thought he, I mean, obviously he buried Matt Selt in that match. That was a strange match. I was convinced that would be close. I actually thought Selt would win it. It was one of my tips to qualify. But Kurt, you know, he, he's a good player who hasn't quite sort of broken through maybe to the extent that people thought he would. Um, Gilbert's going back there, I guess, trying to bury the memories of last year. I'm actually, Yeah, I don't know, it's a tough one. I'm actually, mm, I'm going to, I'll go on you, you say first. I'm, I'm going to have a think about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, this creates the possibility of Higgins and Gilbert both get through with a rematch from last year. Mm -hmm. Um, But Gilbert's gone off the boil the last few months. You know, there's not been that much talk about it. I think it was a little bit sort of masked by how well he played at the Masters. Matt Flynn, he's a really strange player because if you remember when he was a kid, like really young, 12, 13, people were talking about him as this fantastic prodigy and he hasn't delivered on that at all. But the best part of his career has been towards the end of it he seems to have got better and better as he's got to an age where most players are heading into decline so in this one I'm just going to give it to him actually I think uh, you know he's not won to match at the crucible I mean if someone had told you that was going to happen by this age when he was you know being talked up so much as a kid that would have seemed highly unlikely uh, I fancy him to get through actually he did play well in the qualifiers so yeah I'm going to tip Mafflin in that one OK, well, I, 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 I don't know, actually.
1: It's a hard one. I'm going to go for Gilbert, partly because you've gone for Mathlin. <laughs> but just, yeah, yeah I think it could be a, that could be a tight one, actually. Uh, the next one, Jack Lizowski, Anthony McGill. McGill uh, was pretty formidable in the in the final qualifying round yesterday. Uh, he's, he's now sixth year in a row at the Crucible. Signs that he's coming back to form. And what was interesting was he was the only Scott to play in the Championship League. So he's clearly itching to get back. Um and seems to just found a little something. And for that reason, and it's nothing against Jack, but for that reason, with McGill's match play under his belt, I'm uh, I'm giving him the nod.
0: I'm I'm gonna do the same actually. And you know, Lazowski, obviously a fantastic player, great lad, Jack, one of the nicest guys you could ever meet in the game. But, but you you gotta feel over a nineteen-frame match, his head's gonna go walk about at some stage. And you know, McGill is playing well. He's played brilliantly at the Crucible in the past, and I'm not even talking about the the time he beat Selby, and didn't he beat Murphy then the year after that? Mm. But um, he's, he's had some other matches there. I think it was against McGuire, who produced, you know, as good a performance as you'll ever see from anyone. So it, he's one of these players who does seem to find an extra gear at the Crucible. He is getting his mojo back, as you say, after a really surprising slump the last couple of seasons. So I'll pick McGill for that.
1: Okay, next up, Mark Allen against Jamie Clark. Uh, Jamie uh, was the last player to qualify, and uh, I I kept seeing him in the hotel, and what a nice lad he is, honestly. Such a nice guy. Uh, Always seemed to be smiling. He, you know, not full of himself in any way. He was in tears himself when he qualified. when, When he was trying to turn pro, he kept missing out through various ways. Various qualifiers, Q schools and other things just kept missing out by one match. But here he is on the tour. He had to get to the Crucible to keep his tour card. Um... And he did do, and and it was great to see. You know, obviously from Clenethley, where Terry Griffiths comes from. Mark Allen, though, obviously uh, has come back to form himself. He's had a he's been knocking on the door all season, not quite winning the tournament. Um, here's what I'll say about this. Okay, there's been a few Welsh players over the years who sort of come from sort of nowhere and done well. Lee Walker got to the quarters. Jamie Jones got to the quarters. Michael White got to the quarters. So there's three off the bat.
0: Darren and, Morgan actually.
1: Yeah. Years ago. Exactly, and I'll see Terry winning it at his first attempt. Um, and yeah. there's always what there's always at least one match in the first round. You just don't see the shot coming. Well, I'm going to tip it. I'm actually going to tip, and it makes no sense because I think I actually tipped Alan for the semis a couple of weeks back. But you know we've got the draw now. I'm actually going to stick my neck out here and say this will be the this will be the big first round upset. Okay. Well, you,
0: I think. You're contradicting yourself a bit there. I'm contradicting myself massively if I didn't tip Alan because (laughs) I think when we did the podcast the other week, I actually picked him to win the whole thing. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go for Alan. I I think Clark will go there. I mean, you you never know. He could be a Michael Georgiou from last year who just never got going, or it could be one of these guys who's just so pleased to be at the Crucible that, you know, he absolutely thrives on it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I have to go for Alan. I just really like his chances this year. Uh, he's someone I've, I've seen for a long time as just the sort of player who could go there and win the world championship the way he plays I think is really suited to the long slog of the two weeks having said that his record at the Crucible isn't great really um, but yeah got to go for Alan fair enough okay next up <laughs>
1: well they, these two first played as pros 27 years ago in 1993 yeah. Mark Williams and Alan McManus now Alan is now the oldest qualifier this year oldest player there oldest player for 10 years Steve Davis was 52 2010 Um, You know, I mean, Alan is a class act. And and like I say, one of the reasons I tipped him to qualify is I just knew he would have been playing all the time, which he was. He got a key for a, for a place where so he could go and play on his own during lockdown. And because he had so much time, he said I was there in the evenings playing, you know, which you never normally do, just just to fill time. Uh, Mark has sort of gone AWOL, hasn't he? You know, we've not seen him, uh, Mark Williams. Uh, hasn't played in anything yet this season. Um, I think this could be a right old battle, um, you know, two, two sort of proper old stages. And I have to say, I do fancy Alan to come through.
0: Yeah, um, They uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but McManus kind of started that revival when he got to the quarterfinals in 2014. I think it was Williams that he beat in the first round. Uh, to start that little run that he had that year that eventually took him to the last eight and then of course a couple of years later he went on to reach the semi. very hard to say uh, what the story is with Williams because as you say he's disappeared for a while but we have heard sort of rumblings from him that funny enough through all the months of not playing he's kind of rediscovered his appetite for the game which is kind of typical of Mark to be kind of you know a a little bit different like that Um, very difficult to say I mean you're absolutely right I'm sure Alan will have just been practicing and practicing away for all these months I'm just going to slightly give it to Williams in that one, just more more on a hunch than anything else. But McMahon's McMahon, he's so experienced and he's been there so many times and he's surprised us so many times in recent years that it would be no shock at all if he got through. But I'll I'll just give it to Mark.
1: Yeah, he beat John Higgins. The reason I know that is because he tweeted this morning before the draw that he'd actually played eight different world champions at the Crucible and Mark wasn't one of them. So this is actually number nine for Alan. He's, He's his ninth world champion. He's played at the Crucible. Um right. so, so so
0: they didn't meet in the first round. No, it was John Higgins he beat.
1: John Higgins, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah. I
0: knew it was one of the old stages.
1: Now then, speaking of an old stage you no know, disrespect Stuart Bingham, oldest ever master champion this season against Ashley Carty from Rotherham, although of course he's not gonna have a big entourage with him purely because they won't be allowed in. But um on home soil. Uh and as you say, I saw that footage as well of him, you know, just what it meant to him. Fantastic. And of course Stuart Bingham it, it, you know, he's not averse to the odd tier or two as well. At the Crucible, he cried when he got to the one table stage. Didn't he, the year he won it. Um, yeah. You know, another debutant. It's hard to just judge how people are going to play. Carthy has very little TV experience. You know, you actually saw him do, do well at the Championship League, and uh, and you tipped him, didn't you? Which is a fantastic tip. Um, but I've got to give it to sure, Bingham. I think all the all the logic. I know it's kind of going against the whole Alan Clark thing, but um, all the all the logic to me points towards him.
0: Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I mean, look, Bingham is just a much higher-ranked player than Carty, so obviously he's going to go in as a big favourite. And again, you just know Stuart will have worked really hard and prepared very, very well for it. Uh, You never know what you're going to get from the Crucible, though, because 2015 he played about as well as anyone's ever done to win it. Had an immensely tough draw, managed to take the title. But a lot of other years he's kind of been a bit disappointing in Sheffield. But I don't think this will be one of them, actually. I think he might get through a couple of rounds. So I'll go for Bingham.
1: Okay, next match, Ding jun Mark King. Mark King at the Crucible for the first time since 2013. Um, Another 40-something. There's eight 40-somethings in the draw this year. Uh, So a quarter of the field are over 40. Uh, Ding, of course, has come back especially from China. Uh, He's got a new academy as well in Sheffield that's just opened up, which I've heard good things about from one of the Mm. table fit... You know, Paul, the table fitter, he went to help fit the tables and uh, he said it's a great facility. There's, I think, 16 tables. Anyway... um, it's, I mean, Mark King always makes it tough. You know, he, he, he can make it hard. It depends really whether Ding can actually just get in and score. It's harder to do when the table's all messy. If he can get in early in frames, we know how good he is. And I think over the 19-frame the distance, I think that will happen. I think Ding actually will come through.
0: It's Ding against King. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll go. I'll, I'll pretty much just agree with everything you said there. So we'll go for Ding. I've just remembered, actually, it was the final qualifying round that um, yeah. McManus Speak Williams that year that he went down to the quarters. Yeah. So just to clear that one up. So, yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. And, uh, yeah, I think Ding will get through. Um, as you were mentioning, I think, on the last podcast, you know, he didn't necessarily have to come and play in the championship. He's gone to great lengths to be part of it. A lot of the Chinese players did pull out. But, um, yeah, uh, you got to tip Ding for that one.
1: The next match... Uh... Is just fascinating. Ronnie O'Sullivan against Tepchai knew the two fastest players on the circuit. Ronnie's number one, Tep Chara. In fact, well, Tepchai I think is number one. No, Ronnie's number one, Tep Chara's number two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're both like they're both like sixteen seconds a shot. Um, and I mean, talk about unlucky. I mean, all right, there's no easy draws. But Tep Chara now, his third straight appearance, he's drawn John Higgins, Jud Trump, and Ronnie O'Sullivan in the first round. I mean, come on, give the lad a chance. I, my feeling with this is, I. Uh, there's certain players and he's certainly one of them who have understandable reverence for Ronnie O'Sullivan and the danger is he'll have have too much Um, obviously it's going to be a game that will suit both of them because they're both attacking players Um, I'll come back to Ronnie later when we talk about the semi-finalists there's a spoiler already but I actually I actually like the look of his draw this year I think that's a good draw for him I think that he knows what he's going to get from his opponent he will get chances and I'm going for Ronnie
0: it's a brilliant draw from. And not because New isn't a good player. He's actually one of the best of the players to come to qualifiers. But there's going to be that pressure on O'Sullivan this year after what happened last year to be beaten in the first round. And what I think we all agree was the biggest shock we've ever seen at the football. The last thing he wanted was to come up against someone in the first round who was going to have him sit in his chair for long periods, thinking about it all and getting inside his own head. Well, Nu isn't that sort of player because he's so fast. And O'Sullivan has been so you know, open and honest about it over the years, he does prefer playing this sort of player. So from that point of view it's a good draw. Interesting though, on new beat O'Sullivan in the German match been mm. five or six years yeah. ago, and I think that's their only meeting. Yeah, I think well that's the, the only time they've actually yeah. played each other.
1: That was in a qualifier, and Ronnie didn't want to be there to to the extent that he turned up in his coat in the arena and threw his coat under the table. That's how the match started. And he played like a bit of a lunatic. He went for everything uh, and still nearly won. I think this is going to be very different. This is the first round of the World Championship. Um, Moving on, Mark Selby against Jordan Brown. Jordan was another one who was was made up last night. We had a chat with him. And, um, you know, he's someone who was on the tour initially, fell off when there were no, no tournaments. He got a job, I think, in a petrol station amongst other places. And it looked like he sort of maybe would drift away from the sport, certainly in the professional game. He got back and now he's at the Crucible. It's a great story, and I was really pleased for him. I kept telling him he would draw Mark Allen. That didn't happen, actually. Mm. Um, it's a very tough match for him against Selby. I don't think he really cares, though. He's just delighted to be walking out there. Ninth Northern Irishman to do so. Um, now, as people will know if they've listened, Mark Selby was, was my tip for the title, so I have to stay with him. But I'm, I'm delighted to see Jordan there.
0: Yeah, it's great. It'll probably the highlight of his entire career because look let's face it he's well into his 30s now and he's never been beyond the last 32 of a ranking event so this is his career highlight so far and you know what a thing to be able to say you know he's nowhere near a top player the chances are at this stage he's not going to be but what a great thing to be able to say in years to come you know i played at the crucible in the world championship against one of the greatest players of all time i think he'll go in he'll just try to enjoy the occasion and, you know, you say that about players and it almost sounds like you're writing them off. They feel they're there to make up the numbers. But that's not what I mean by it at all. I think he'll be enjoying it so much that he'll regard everything that he achieves there as a bonus. And that can be a good state of mind to be in. But ultimately, how can you not tip Selby to win that match?
1: Yeah, uh, he, he like, he's our sort of guy, Jordan Brown, because he likes a stats. And he he fired a couple at me. I got a couple of them. But he asked me how many Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland players have played there. And, and to name them all. And I missed out Jason Prince. I've forgotten he played there. So I've got the others. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jordan will be the ninth. Anyway, um, so you're going for Selby. So the next match, Sean Murphy, Mop and Senkham. I think, you know, even a month ago, you would say Murphy would be quite a heavy favorite there. Of course, he just lost his manager, Brandon Parker, who we should mention.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, Sean, Sean Murphy's best friend, actually, you know, looked after him. And, you know, they were very close. He just he went to his funeral recently. Um, very sad and very sudden. I was unaware that Brandon was ill again. I know he'd been very ill, but um, that, that was incredibly sad. And obviously, you know, that, that sort of thing, as we know, can work in two ways. When Dennis Taylor won the Grand Prix in 1984, he pulled out of the International before because his mother passed away. And he went to the Grand, he went to the Grand Prix. I think he was thinking of pulling out in that. His family said she'd go and play. He went to that with all the emotion and it sort of carried him through. So sometimes, you know, that can be... That can be something that in some way inspires you it can work the other way as well though um, but we can only look at it really from a snooker perspective I think Sengham it's great to see another tie player there this year I think he's a good player but I think with the distance the best of 19 I don't really see any logic not to go for Murphy
0: yeah uh, Sengham again is a bit like Tom Ford you know he's one of these guys who, when he plays well he's really really good and he can get on a run frame after frame Uh, I was just thinking when I saw that draw earlier I couldn't remember any matches between them and I had a look, apart from a six reds match they've only ever played each other once and that was in the UK back in 2013 Murphy won 6-2 but the last two frames were actually both on the black so Sankham did give him a good contest I'm going to go against you on this one actually Uh, just on on little more than a hunch but also on knowing that Sankham is a good player who like most of the Thai players actually as though he has a really good temperament uh, I'm just going to go for him to, to pull off an upset there. Fair enough. Uh, two matches left. Barry Hawkins. Oh, by the way, this
1: quarter's horrible, isn't it? It's a, it's a real horrible quarter um, in yeah. terms of the, just the standard is, is insane. And Barry Hawkins is a sort of form horse at the Crucible against Alexander Urson-Backer, who, again, was one of my tips to qualify. He got through. He's the youngest player there, I think, this year. Uh, delightful young man, actually. You know, he's a good guy and, and representing Switzerland, 19th nation to be represented at the Crucible. Very proud of that. Um, and... I don't know. I just get the feeling the way he played against Gary Wilson. I know it's not the crucible, but it was still a big high profile match. He came out first frame, one 4 one, tapped the match all the way through, put Wilson on the back foot from the off, never backed down, went for his shots, played superbly. If he can do that against Barry, I think he's got every chance. And again, I'm going to actually, t- I'm going to tip Alex there.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to agree with you on that, which, <laughs> you know, is probably in the history of tipping, I doubt there's ever been a tip that's gone so much against the head-to-head record because they've played each other twice do you know how many frames Urzenbacher has won in total over those two matches has he won any he has not he Mm. was uh, beaten (laughs) by him uh, 4-0 and 6-0 But, you know, those matches were actually some time ago now, so I don't think it's got any great degree of of relevance. Hawkins definitely gone off the boil a bit uh, in recent times. He's not the player he was even a couple of years ago. Erzsvacher, again, like we said about Sankham a few minutes ago, when he plays well, he can play really, really well. He showed some good form at the qualifiers. Delighted to be there. And uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you. I'm going
1: to go for for backer. What's interesting though is I wouldn't, despite that, I wouldn't fancy him over 25 frames against Neil Robertson. Now the last sure. match is Neil Robertson because this is just a different distance. Neil Robertson Liang wembo is the last match. Of course, Robertson beat him in the UK final in the uh, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm t- I'm tipping Neil Robertson here. Um, I think uh, you know he, he he said something very interesting in the week. Um, he said that and I think it was Nick Metcalf's interview in the Metro, he said that his dad wasn't with him in Britain. His mother came over when he won the world title in 2010. His dad wasn't. And every year since, he's flown his dad over to the crucible. And he thinks that's put more pressure on him in some ways because he's trying to perform for him. Now, this year he won't be coming for obvious reasons with with what's happened. Um, And maybe that'll take the pressure off. That's only one small theory, but there might be something in it. Of course, he started last year so well. Robertson played fantastically well the first two rounds, came a cropper against Higgins... But for me, he gets through the first round there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they've only met once since that UK final. They had a great match in Riga a couple of years ago when Robertson actually went on to win the title, and Liang pushed him very close uh, along the way. And you could see him pushing him very close in this again. It's just the sort of match you could see being sort of 10-8, 10-9, something like that. But look, Robertson is coming in. He said himself that he doesn't feel he's... uh, had a year since 2010 when he won the championship where he's gone in in such good form. Again, though, we always have to say a lot of that form was obviously months and months and months ago. I mean, some of the tournaments that we're talking about this season, you know, they were so long ago now, they're almost of no relevance at all. But I'll just tip Robertson to go through. And as we talk about Robertson, actually, again, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think this is the first time ever that the top four seeds are all left-handers. Wow! Wow, yeah. that is that's
1: that is yeah. You've you've been you've had that under a low heat, haven't you? That's a fantastic, stat yeah,
0: I, I just noticed that that earlier. So yeah, th- they all are, and yeah, I, I think that's probably the first time that's uh, that's ever happened. So we'll dedicate that one to the King of the Dark Stats, Chris Downer, because <laughs> you know he, he's probably going to be you know really gutted he didn't think of it first.
1: It's The only thing he's not thought of anyway. So yeah. that's their our, their our predictions for what they're worth. Uh, with A few upsets in there. But we're going to go back because we because uh, a few weeks ago we predicted the semi final lists, but we didn't have the qualifiers then. So we're going to revise them. We'll start with the top half, and this is my prediction. Okay, you ready? This is my prediction yep. for for the first semi final. It will be Judd Trump against Anthony McGill. I'm going to say McGill. There's always a qualifier who goes through the field. I'm going to say sure. Anthony McGill. Anthony McGill is going to reach the semi finals. I remember when he qualified the first time, 2015. And Alan McManus was the next one off. And we did the interviews in Ponds Forge outside in the lovely sunshine. It was very different to now where everything's socially distanced. And Alan Alan is not someone who just makes you know ridiculous statements. He said, one day, Anthony McGill will win the World Championship. Now, he would not say that if he didn't absolutely believe it. I'm not saying he will this year, but I'm saying it's Trump v. McGill in the top half.
0: McGill has spent the last two years locked in an industrial unit with John Higgins and Stephen Maguire practicing hour after hour. Now, if that doesn't sharpen you up for a run at the Crucible, I don't know what does. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not a bad call at all. He's just the sort of player you could see in that sort of role of being the player who goes all the way from the qualifiers uh, through to the later stages of the championship. I agree with you about Trump. A couple of potential pitfalls uh, in his way. Uh, to get to the semis but I still fancy him to get there and look as I'm tipping Mark Allen to win the championship I'll have to tip him uh, to come through and play Trump which is uh, what I said when we did this a couple of weeks ago
1: bottom half I tip Marcel Selby, so I'm staying with him and I'm saying he's going to play Ronnie O'Sullivan in the semi-finals I think I, I was told and you hear a lot of things you know on the on the sort of you know on the wires and people chatting in bars and so on but I was told that Dr. Steve Peters will be with Ronnie in Sheffield, and I think that's that's. I think that's twofold. One, you know, Ronnie was saying he didn't. He was worried about the crowds. He also initially said he was worried about a strict lockdown. You know, his mental health obviously it has been an issue for him, and I think with this new uh, situation at the World Championship, it makes a lot of sense to have, you know, Dr. Peters with him. But it also it also tells you how focused he is on the tournament. You know, he is absolutely focused, and I think this is his chance to sort of bury the demons of the whole Selby defeat that we've talked about in the final in 2014. Ronnie is still, you know, he's a, he, all right. He's getting on in years in just literal sort of age 44, but he's still a fit man. He's still on his day can play brilliantly. I didn't think a few weeks ago, even that he was going to feature, but having seen the draw this morning, I think he would be reasonably happy with it. And I say, I'm saying he's going to get to the semis. Now I'm still tipping Selby to win the championship. But I'm saying it's Ronnie O'Sullivan against Mark Selby in the bottom half.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with you about O'Sullivan. I mean, just the longer I look at the quarter he's in, you know, and the way it's panned out from, the more I fancy his chances of getting through that. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I think I tipped Selby to be in the semi finals with him, um, which would be obviously the same as you. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. I mean, what a semi-final that would be O'Sullivan-Selby, particularly, as you say, given how O'Sullivan's crucible career has been so affected by what happened when they met in the final uh, six years ago. So there we are. So
1: just to recap, the semifinals, according to me, are Judd Trump against Anthony McGill and Ronnie O'Sullivan against Mark Selby. And uh, Michael is going for Judd Trump against Mark Allen and Ronnie O'Sullivan against Mark Selby. Who knows? Look, listen, the fun is finding out. But for what it's worth, that's what we think. Let us know what you think. Although um, this will be our last podcast until after the World Championship. But you can still get in contact, snooker scene podcast at mail.com. Mail.com is our email address. Now, uh, on the World Championship, of course, since we last spoke, it's been announced that the crowds um, are being allowed in in reduced numbers. We've had a couple of emails about this, uh, one of one of which I'll just read the two out and then I'll reply to them. James Cook, our, our friend travelling around America. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of James, actually, because we had to get this bus to the venue every day. And Sheffield is, is a lovely city, but the, the, the direct route we took, it wasn't the nicest part. Of the city, I, you know, it's a sort of uh, it was the sort of sort of um, scenes that Morrissey would write a song about. You know, it's quite grim and, and northern. You know, and he's in, Mo- he's he, but it turns out he watched the World Qualifiers in a tent in Montana, and he has sent pictures um, where it looks very nice. He, said, he actually says not as glamorous as it may sound. It's freezing cold at night with the ever, ever-present threat of grizzly bears in the area. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, to, to business He said, I saw a news article that said there would be a limited audience For the actual World Championship Finals Can you please elaborate on this? How many people allowed? How are they selected? etc. What are your thoughts? And also, I had an email from Alpha Bonzi Which is the best name we've ever had uh, emailing in Alpha Bonzi, he said, is it a Barry Hearn, and Will Snooker to have any type of audience, even if it's only guests of the sponsors, especially invited guests to the Crucible this year? Seeing as like Sheffield is an area of concern in regards to the global health crisis, I can't blame Ronnie O'Sullivan for saying he's tempted to withdraw. He's not withdrawing, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. or any other player that agrees with him. It seems World Snooker are going to undo the good work they've done so far in getting the World Championship on in the first place by risking an audience member coming in with a virus, passing it to a player. Forcing into a draw and closing down the storm early. Well, yeah, the, the, so to answer the two points, there's a crowd of around, I think, 300 allowed. They put not all the people who originally bought tickets actually want to go, and that's obviously their choice. So they put tickets back on sale. Um, and there are some snooker fans who've snapped them up. Some feel they want to stay away. Uh, it's not only Ronnie who's commented on this, actually, Anthony Hamilton today in, in various newspapers yeah. is, is saying he. Thinks it's a ridiculous decision to have people there. But here's the thing, okay? And Neil Robertson earlier in the week said the opposite. He thinks it's a great idea. But here's the thing, okay? Nobody has objective opinions. All our opinions in life are based on our experiences. Anthony has had a friend who had the virus, and he was younger than him. He was 35, and he was very ill, and he's still ill now. He's recovering, but, you know, it's th- taken a real toll on his health. So obviously, Anthony has seen that close up, and he's got asthma himself. You can absolutely understand why he would be concerned. He didn't play in the Championship League for the same reason my feeling on this is that actually i don't think the crowd are necessarily a threat to the players they might be a threat to each other obviously they're going to socially distance there's a lot of protocols in terms of coming in with a mask and all the rest of it but let's be clear it is a risk absolutely and it would be a terrible terrible shame if something happened there and as, as a correspondent there alpha said all the good work is undone um but it's being treated as a, a pilot event by the British government, so they're involved in the regulations as well. Um, I think players in general prefer a crowd just for the atmosphere and the experience of playing there. Um, but like I say, you know what, what we don't want is on day 10, you know, we find out the virus has, has turned up there and it's all going to be stopped.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be about 300 people, I understand. Now, can you really have 300 people in that Crucible Arena and have them socially distanced? So I think a lot of the time when people are laying things out and saying, "Okay, we'll have someone in this seat, but not in these seats. They forget that, you know, I'm sure the virus doesn't only travel in straight lines. So, you know, you could have, you know, a distance row, but then have someone sitting directly behind you. So I'll be fascinated to see uh, how that plays out and how they've actually configured the arena. But I have to say, it's great to have an email from Alpha Bonzi because, you know, we always love to have an alpha male on this podcast. Uh, There we are.
1: Another one there. OK, Ben Ben Dunnell, let's see what you can do with his name. He said, uh, much enjoying the podcast every week, most interesting stuff and greatly appreciated. Thank you, Ben. He said, a question for you potentially to discuss. While it may be a bit premature given how the 2019-20 season is yet to conclude, is still to conclude, what are your informed thoughts on where and when the 2021 season may get underway? With the news that apparently professional sporting events are to be forbidden in China for the foreseeable future, do you feel this may lead to wholesale rejigging of the calendar? What do you consider the prospects for other established tournaments in the UK and mainland Europe over the months to come? Well, here's the thing: we can't go to China till the new year. We know that, and in a way, in a funny sort of way, that actually helps World Snooker because they can just they can just focus now on getting tournaments on in this country. And the the European Masters is the only tournament I actually know of that's got firm dates. They're going to be towards the end of September, so that may be the first event. Of the, of the new season. I was told we might get a calendar even this week up until Christmas. And nice. I suspect, I suspect what you'll see is you'll see the three home nations events. So English Northern Ireland and Scottish opens so up will be on They're looking at maybe the world Grand Prix moving forward. European masters I've mentioned. It's not inconceivable. There might be new events. Uh, if broadcasters are interested in them, they'll be played in Britain. I know they're looking at different venues. I don't want to say too much because I, I was kind of, this was a, private conversation but I know for a fact they're looking at specific venues similar to the one in Milton Keynes and they're not just going to leave the calendar sort of blank for months even if in the new year we can't go to China I think you'll find there will be tournaments that replace any tournaments that are lost so I still think there'll be a reasonably full calendar it won't necessarily be as full as before but I don't think it's going to be like eight weeks without an event I think they will do their best to plug the gaps um, and get people playing and obviously get snooker fans being able to watch.
0: Yeah, and a lot depends, obviously, on what happens over the next couple of weeks, doesn't it? We have to see how this plays out. That may impact on whether or not there can be crowds at any of these events. It may impact on whether or not those events can even happen at all. But I think that is what we're looking at. I think a lot of snooker being played in Britain... Uh, in the first half of the season. But, uh, you know, we are repeating ourselves, but we have to, really. Everything at the moment is just dependent on things that have nothing to do with snooker, things that are going on out in the wider world. But uh, it's great, you know, to know that they are working on a calendar and one will come around uh, quite soon, hopefully. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, what sort of venues they'll go to. Will some of the established venues that we're used to seeing on the circuit be deemed unsuitable for various reasons? Uh, I suppose we'll find all that out. But listen... We've seen it, you know, with everything that's happened over the last few months, whatever number of events are on that calendar will be the absolute maximum that it would have been possible to do, because everything that's happened already and even getting this championship on has involved maximum effort and pulling out all the stops and basically doing whatever is possible. So whatever calendar emerges, you can be absolutely sure it's the best effort uh, that was conceivably uh, on the cards. Yeah, it's, it's
1: it's very difficult as we know at the moment, and and you know with this talk of a second wave in Europe and all the rest of it. But you know, plans are afoot. I'm sure about that, and yeah, hopefully we'll get more news soon. Rory Gavin writes. He said, "I absolutely love the podcast. World snookers didn't stand a chance." Well, a little harsh, Rory, but anyway, um, I can't wait for the upcoming World Championship. I booked tickets to watch John Higgins this year at the Crucible. And so on a similar topic, I was wondering which of the fabled class of 92 do you think will retire first and which do you believe would do a Steve Davis blossom into their 50s? Well, of course, he's talking about Higgins, O'Sullivan and Mark Williams, I guess. Um, I mean, John, is a kind of Steve Davis like player, isn't he? You know, he's got that game where he can just continue um, without necessarily, you know, making break after break. Ronnie is a one-off in general, um, so you could see him, I think we've already said he could play into his 50s. Mark, I suspect possibly of the three, would be the one to retire first. He seems almost sort of gearing up for it already. I know he was saying, you know, he got his appetite back, but of the three, I think he's the most likely to probably pack it in first. The other two, I think Higgins is certainly good for a few more years, but actually, probably Ronnie, I think could go on the longest, just because he's sort of got that game, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, I I think... All three of them are probably a long way from the finish. Mm. Um, I was, spoke to Mark, I don't know when it was, sometime earlier in the season. I think it was around January, actually. And uh, he was saying that he might pack it in after the World Championship, but his wife wouldn't let him. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but, but he seems to have, uh, as we say, which is just what we're hearing anyway, that he, he's kind of changed his views on that. It's made him reflect on how much he'd miss it if he wasn't playing. I think in the end, they'll all be around. And, uh, you know, when I say around, I mean around as good players. Maybe not the very top level of the game, but would you be surprised to see any of those guys now, age 53, 54, still being in or around the top 16? I certainly wouldn't. Uh, So I I think, you know, the, the end is a long way off for all three of them.
1: Yeah, um, there's two reasons for that One, just, they're just really good And two, of course, there isn't the wave of young talent That they represented when they came through Threatening to sweep them away There just isn't So, yeah. you know, with, with all their kind of class and, and knowledge Of course they, they can stick around uh, A letter from Neil Caesar uh, Don't even think about doing a joke about his name uh, From Swansea he says, he says, after listening to Michael Talking about the unusual finish to the 984 Lada Classic Final I went on YouTube to watch but what was the unusual finish Michael mentioned? I didn't see anything particularly unusual other than Davis fluking a yellow, but that didn't seem that unusual as flukes happen all the time. Well I think I think after thirty-six years, spoilers don't really apply. So if this is the business with, with Tony Mio, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, because he was he looked like he was maybe gonna win it and he was down on the yellow and someone shouted out, Come on, Tony. And obviously it put him off and he missed the yellow and Davis went on to win it, and Mio had to wait another five years to win his first uh, ranking title but the thing about it is i i don't think the commentators made a great deal of it at the time so that's why maybe looking back on it it doesn't become that apparent but it was certainly a very big deal for tony mayo and it was talked about for a number of years afterwards and you know, he, he was someone who seemed to be a bit low on self-esteem and lacking a little bit in confidence and belief in himself. Had a lot of ability, Tony Mio. And something like that, you know, really just set him back when he was so close to beating Steve Davis. I mean, imagine that, beating Steve Davis in a televised final in 1984. I mean, you're literally talking, well, at least back-page news and maybe front-page news the next morning. And have been so close and to miss out in those circumstances. I think it really affected them for some time. But as I say, when you look at it on, on YouTube now, I don't think a, a huge amount was made of it at the time. It was more afterwards uh, that, that it got spoken about.
1: We have an email from Tracy Robertson, not happy, actually. Uh, he said, Hi, due to lockdown, I've been able to devote more time to listening to your excellent podcasts. I particularly like the A to Z series. Uh, I was looking forward to W as my favourite player, is Mark Williams. W came and you had White as for Jimmy White, but no Williams. I can't understand having White, but not Williams as Mark has had an infinitely better career than Jimmy. I also went back to see if he was under M for Mark, but nothing there either. I apologise if I missed him somewhere along the way. If not, I feel this is a glaring omission and, frankly, an insult. Well, uh, the, the firstly, well done for getting to the end of the A to Z because it took us, it took us about a year to do it. I, I, and I genuinely can't remember uh, like if, when, if Mark was mentioned anywhere or not. One thing I would say, though, is I did interview him on the podcast. In fact, he's one of the first players... I think he was the first player I asked... Uh, to interview. Uh, I've got absolutely nothing against Mark, quite the opposite. Um, And he was great value, as you'd you'd expect. So if you go through the back catalogue, if you haven't heard it, then check out my interview with Mark.
0: I think we'll end up doing another A to Z at some point because, I mean, you could probably do quite a few of them. So we'll probably end up doing it again and maybe Williams will come on that time. I think there's more to say about Jimmy, though. And, of course, I mean, Williams has had a more successful career, no question about that. But Jimmy's a much more uh, renowned figure. He's a much more famous player. And I think he's probably... You would say played a much bigger role in the game's history than Mark, who, again, nothing against Mark's a great lad, but um, I think that's probably uh, why Jimmy was in it and not Mark. Okay.
1: Uh, well, speaking of Jimmy, you, you think of Stephen Hendry, and I've had an email here from Anshuman Loyalka. Loy, I'm sorry, i am butchered your name, I'm sure, but anyway, it's an absolute pleasure to listen to your podcast. I hope that Snooker can generate more high quality content such as you have to further the game. Uh, I'm a 22-year-old snooker fan from India. I'm writing to you to share a short piece I've written to try and explain why I love the great Stephen Hendry for his often overlooked skill of great snooker commentary. It's an interesting point because obviously there's the the, the argument about who's the greatest of all time, but this is about commentating rather than playing. Uh, I started watching snooker late enough that I was introduced to Stephen Hendry the commentator before Stephen Hendry, the seven-time world champion. Having watched hundreds of matches while listening to hours of commentary, one voice stood out from the rest, and it had little to do with the accent While the men sitting beside him in the commentary box intelligently discuss strategies and gameplay, this man sits there talking about how fast a player is walking around the table, what the player is thinking, even what their posture says about their character. Sometimes while a player is busy clearing up a mouth-watering frame, Stephen considers this an optimum time to break down the body language of their opponent sat in the chair. This isn't commonplace. In fact, I thought it was a bit ridiculous. The game is taking place on the bays, and Stephen Hendry is talking about what's happening on the carpet. I began learning a lot more about the history of snooker, and here, too, one man stood out from the pack. In fact, you could say he split open the pack, both literally and (laughs) figuratively. I I like that, actually. Uh, I'd I'd learned that I can't separate his wins on cloth from his words on commentary. His remarks about players' mentality and demeanour was suddenly more interesting to me than what took place on the table. And I started to discover a fundamental truth about snooker. The carpet is more difficult to conquer than the base. Watching old videos of Stephen Hendry matches, it seems to me like no man ever conquered the carpet quite like he did. He was a player that walked around the table like he was a frame away from victory, even when he was 10 frames from it. Make no mistake, he was essentially a predator in a waistcoat, self-admittedly scanning his opponent for weaknesses to pounce at the first opportunity. I now see him bringing the same mentality to his commentary. His astute behavioural observations seem to tell a more accurate tale than balls on the table or points on a scoreboard. He always manages to communicate the paramount importance of performance under pressure, and this reflects clearly in his choices with shots of the match. While most viewers are inclined to nominate an outrageous pot as their pick of the day, I often find him nominating a nice, crisp pot played under tremendous pressure. That's a lovely shot, great shot that not easy, he says. Well the entire arena doesn't let out a single clap for the very same shot. The reason for this is because he speaks on behalf of all the players watching the game that know full well how a non-flashy pot played well can be the difference between defeat and glory. In a match with Judd Trump's full cue power on display, one doesn't often come out saying that Ronnie's stun run yellow is the shot of the tournament, unless you're Stephen Hendry. As a player, he shaped the modern game of Snooker. As a commentator, he's shaping the understanding of the mentality of the game for me and millions of new fans. And for this, I consider him the greatest snooker commentator of all time. Well, if Stephen's listening, which I suspect he won't be, uh, what, what an encomium that is. Well, firstly, I'll I tell you what, in this sort of, you know, we often dwell on negativity and people complaining. It's lovely to get something like that, just, just praising someone. Um, and what I'll say is this. Obviously, Stephen was a great player, a fantastic champion, understands winning probably more than anybody. Um, I've been able to commentate with him on ITV4 and, the only, I don't get nervous commentating just because you know you end up doing it so much. But with him, it's a bit different. You are a bit anxious because it's Stephen Hendry. You can't get away from that. Huh. Um, he's a little bit like he was as a player. He he's, he doesn't talk the most of anyone, but what he says is absolutely worth listening to. And. I agree, he's brilliant. And of course, you know, he'll be on the BBC uh, for the World Championship.
0: Yeah, it's just not fair that someone can be so good at snooker and then be so good at talking about snooker. I mean, to have two which, you know, they're quite different skills in a lot of ways. So to be so good at both of them, it's, it's just not fair that someone should have that much talent. It's always said in so many sports that being a great player doesn't make you a great analyst or a great commentator. That's absolutely true. But when you're as great as Stephen Hendry, you would have to be, like, really inarticulate and really hopeless to not be very much in demand um, because given his experience what he's meant to the game, uh, being such a great winner, I mean he, he just has so much authority to him and it would only be if he was just really inarticulate an and couldn't string a sentence together that he wouldn't be a great commentator he just brings so much authority so just look at you know, what he's accomplished in the game and the way he's accomplished it as well, as you said, nobody knows more about winning, great player but also a great winner and just that poker face that he managed to maintain so often during matches, I mean, that was a big part of his uh, success as a player. So he understands all that about body language and how important it is in the game. He's given a great perspective and a great insight. And I said in one of our recent podcasts that the commentary that he and Phil did on the closing stages of the Grand Prix final earlier this year was as good a commentary as you'll hear on any sport anywhere. Um, and I think, you know, he just works so well. You know, maybe not so much with another player, but when he's with someone like yourself or Phil, or maybe in times gone by, Clive as well in the commentary box, it really brings out his strengths. And uh, it's just wonderful that, you know, great to still have him around the game when his playing career is over in any capacity. But fantastic that he just lights up the tournament so much with his with his insight and his commentary and his fantastic honesty as well uh, that, that he brings to it. But I know what you mean about being nervous. You know, even even talking to him and interviewing him, you can have. <laughs> that feeling because he just has this amazing aura about him because he is Stephen Hendry and because of what he's accomplished in the game and because of the immense knowledge and experience that he still shows in his commentary now.
1: Yeah and I'll say this for Hendry as well for Stephen he puts in a shift you know the ITV four days are long he, yeah. is the, he is the star of the show isn't he but he doesn't act like that he does the same amount as everybody else you know he'll be the studio commentary he's not expected to be treated any differently. Anyway we've got two emails left and the next one of course is from our friend Dave Tyndall, uh, oh, regular. yeah Regular listeners will have been following his exploits, playing his various fantasy tournaments on his table. He's played the World Championship, and we left it on an absolute knife edge, never mind who shot JR; another contemporary reference. This is is who won Dave Tyndall's World Championship. So let's get into it. The final uh, was between Karin Wilson and Neil Robertson of his imaginary World Championship. He said, I'll be honest, I wanted Neil Robertson to win, but whereas me and Steve Davis could handle the extra pressure, perhaps the ginger wig I used had magic powers, me as Neil Robertson couldn't, to begin with at least. Although I'd mentioned on a previous podcast the idea of getting a curly blonde wig to reflect Neil's lockdown hair, the ones I looked at online were ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that was time well spent, wasn't it? Yeah. He, said, he, said, he said, what if Neil goes on to win the real thing with his usual nice hair, and I've represented him as a young David Gower stroke Henry off Neighbours? History wouldn't look back on me kindly. I'd simply come across as a man who'd lost his marbles. Yeah, imagine that, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, he said, to the finals, Kyron Wilson cruised into a 4-0 lead and finished the first session with a 42 clearance to end 6-2 to in front. He then pulled away further to lead 13-5 overnight after a rapid 10-frame second session. Played an extra frame there. It's supposed to be 9, but we'll... we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll no, we, 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 Listen, you can only go into this so much. OK, he said, a more relaxed Neil started knocking in 40 breaks for fun when they returned on day two. Clawed his way back to 15-11 going into the final session. Kyron, clearly nervous at winning his first imaginary world title, wobbled his way to 17-15 in front to move one frame from victory before Neil stayed alive with a flamboyant 61 clearance to take it to 17-16. This is fantastic stuff, isn't it? He said He said, He said. said it looked all set for a final frame decider, but 27 behind with the balls awkward, Kyron made the best 31 clearance of his not-actual life to take the title 18-16, It was a genuine high, that final frame, and I was quite chuffed to end it on such a dramatic note. Due to the regular playing time I've enjoyed on my 6x3 over the last few months, the standard of the 2020 tournament was much higher than the 1982 version I replayed, although who could forget Steve Davies' 107 maximum practice, which is still racking up the hits on YouTube. Two final things... While I don't know, sorry. While I don't think my six by three days are over yet, I must admit I can't wait to return to full size snooker. Now that my local, the Northern Snooker Centre in Leeds, is open again, well, you, you can't find a better club than that. So that's sure. good news. And he said, uh, to, 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 "I simply have to back Karen Wilson at twenty to one to win the real thing." Thanks for indulging my nonsense over the last couple of months. I'm an avid listener of the Snooker Scene podcast and you and Michael do a fantastic job. Well, thank you, Dave. You've been an important part of this uh, podcast and uh, well done to, uh, to to the imaginary Karen Wilson for winning. Yeah,
0: and, and it all happened in the cesspit of bitterness arena, of course, which is, you know, <laughs> I love the way, he, he, you know, he says thanks for tolerating his nonsense. Well, listen, Dave, you've tolerated our nonsense over, over yeah. the lockdown period. And and the other thing is, of course, you know, we're a bit stretched over the next couple of weeks to get all the match reports done for the magazine. So on the basis of Dave's email there, maybe he's available to help us out along the way.
1: Well, speaking of nonsense, um, Neil Foles said to me this week, he said, I "I enjoy listening to the podcast. He said, it's a bit long. And he's now sent me this email, which is going to take about 20 minutes to read. Now... Uh, you know, uh, uh, if, when I get to the end of this, don't, please nobody fear for Neil's health. He's okay, all right. He's okay. I saw him yesterday. He's fine. But this is what this is what he sent us. Okay, this is former world number three Neil Folds. He said on the basis of something Michael said, I think. An episode of Scooby-Doo solving... The, I'll start it again. On the basis of something Michael said, I think an episode of Scooby-Doo solving the mystery of the Crucible Curse would be superb. I wonder if the original scriptwriters could reform to make a Crucible special on that basis for the eve of the 2021 Championships. Now, you, this was, you were rubbishing the old, old idea of the Crucible Curse, and you said it sounds like an episode of Scooby-Doo, so this is yeah, where it started. Yeah, yeah. So, Neil continues. To cut to the chase, there would be some unfortunate circumstances relating to players who are first-time winners attempting to retain the World Championship and thus breaking the dreaded curse. For instance, an example of recent history, Stuart Bingham in 2016 arrived at stage door really bleary-eyed because he'd been kept awake all night by a thug hurling rocks at his hotel window. Ball Run ends up losing to Ali Carter due to tiredness given the match on the opening days traditionally played on both sessions. So the scene is set... Judd Trump's pre match dinner has been poisoned, and the ace in the pack was about to take his first bite when Shaggy and Scooby whisked the plate away from him in the nick of time. They had discovered what had been going on. Just a reminder this is former world number no. three, Neil Falls, yes, writing. Exactly. He continues, after much detective work, without wishing to ruin the plot entirely, the perpetrator of this crime was unveiled as an evil night porter at the now demolished Grove Hotel, who, when chased around Tudor Square and escaping, is eventually found and caught crouching in a disused basement in the bowels of the Crucible. The villain is subsequently unmasked as none other than Steve Davis, who psychologically had never recovered from his horrendous 10 1 drubbing to Tony Knowles in 1982 and the humiliation he felt from this. Davis had deep-seated issues over this this defeat and began this chain of events in 1986 by nobbling Dennis Taylor on the opening day defeat to Mike Hallett. In the morning of the match, the evil Davis crept into the player dressing rooms and replaced Dennis's prescription glass lenses with identical specs with plain glass, hence, hence the eventual loss to Mike. As years pass, the gradual talk of the curse is spread through the media by the powerful nugget and word gets around. The dark forces of the game overpower the snooker gods. Due to his own demons, Steve was determined that this curse became a real thing rather than an anomaly based on the difficulty of winning the World Championship twice in a row. This was clinically explained by Michael a couple of weeks ago. Only defending champions Joe Johnson and Ken Doherty were able to play freely as Davis was unable to get them cro- crocked, crooked, crocked, whatever. Yorkshireman Joe travelled in every day from his secure home and Ken was generally too crafty to be caught out. I believe Steve gave Ken the nickname Crafty Ken, which stuck because he couldn't get to him. Those two nearly foiled Steve's evil plot. A close shave scuppered only in the final and allowing the curse to continue, in this case, by luck. Anyway, moving on, Davis would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. As a footnote, Judd Trump defends his title and the curse is dead and the nugget is safely behind bars. A feel-good story. There we are. Pick,
0: pick the bones out of that. Yeah. You sent me this, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you passed it on because the mails go to you and you, you pass on to me. I was reading down through it. I hadn't noticed who it f- was from. And I thought, this is obviously written by some lunatic with too much time in his hands. Mm-hmm. Then I got down the bottom, saw Neil's name, and I realised, well, it had been written by a lunatic, <laughs> just one that we happen to know. I mean, I, I, obviously, when I was 10 years old, watching Neil rip it up in mm-hmm. the Dulux British Open in Derby, I was thinking, I'll bet in 33 years' time, he sits down and writes a script for a Scooby-Doo episode based on something I've said on a medium which doesn't exist yet. I mean, obviously, I saw that coming. So, uh, yeah, extraordinary stuff. But uh, (laughs) just just as well the World Championship is coming around because Neil won't have a minute to think over the next few weeks. On on the basis of that, I think that's probably a good thing. A wonderfully entertaining. Having
1: said all that, though, with my with my playwrights hat on, I am thinking of uh, sort of bashing that up into a screenplay. So, uh, anyway, yeah. But thank thank you, Neil, for that. Um, I should just say about obviously the World Championship; it's all over the telly, BBC. Uh, we're all commentating BBC and Eurosport, not from Sheffield, um, for you know for the health reasons. So we're going to be off site. Hazel Urban is not presenting for the BBC this year, which is a big blow for them, I think um actually i was watching this morning the draw i thought rob walker did a great job why he's not presented with the bbc i don't know but anyway that's that's nothing to do with me um so eurosport with we've got the usual crew neil's there dominic dale Phil yates uh, are, are joining us as well uh, colin and jimmy are in sheffield presenting and the bbc i think jason mohammed is their main man this year yeah. and, and they've got now uh, john virgo lives in spain so whether he's actually made it over i don't know um but anyway they've got all the other usual people so anyway it's all you, you, it's on every day it starts friday of course 10 o'clock uh if you live outside of areas where you can get bbc Eurosport support matchroom live this new service you can watch it on there so that's great for people in for example our friends in america uh, if you sign up to that you can watch it and uh hope you can enjoy it so listen we started these weekly podcasts um as lockdown was happening were just coming in and it was I suppose it was a way of entertaining ourselves uh, and hopefully snooker fans as well we've had a few audio challenges along the way I think it'd be fair to say mm. and we've also veered off into some strange cultural cul-de-sacs not least yeah. the one the one just from Neil Folds. Yeah. Uh, but I personally I've enjoyed doing them and I'd like to say two thank yous firstly to you Michael for your con- contributions um, very fun We've just about got through it on the the Skype. And secondly, to everyone who's listened and emailed us, uh, particularly our regular correspondents, who kept us entertained as well, we're going to stop for now uh, because obviously the World Championship is about to come around. I have actually recorded an interview with Marcel Eckhart, the world final referee this year. He's going to be the youngest ever referee and that will be out at some point during the event. I'll finish by saying this, okay? Snooker is a sport that has long been sneered at and patronised. It's a victim of cultural snobbery. I'd argue it's a victim at times of class snobbery. But you know what? We've taken all the knocks over many years and we're still standing and we're standing taller taller than ever. Lots of sports have struggled to come back from all this. We're about to have our world championship. Just think about that. We're about to have our world championship despite all the problems and challenges. It's real. It's happening. It promises to be just as wonderful as ever. So I hope everybody enjoys it. We will be back hopefully after the championship. With a review of with our usual review of the tournament. I hope everyone enjoys it. Whoever wins it, good luck to them, they'll have deserved it. And in the meantime, wherever you are in the world, stay safe, enjoy the tournament, and thank you very much for listening.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.